You're listening to The Briefing, first broadcast on the 24th of November 2022 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to The Briefing, coming to you live from Studio One here at Midori House in London. I'm Emma Nelson and coming up, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky accuses Russia of crimes against humanity at the United Nations. We'll speak to the former UN ambassador, Sir Mark Lyle Grant, about the audience that the Ukrainian leader hopes to reach. We'll also mark the return of the blob to British politics, get the headlines from Latin America, and then it'll be time for our World Cup countdown. That's all coming up right here on The Briefing with me, Emma Nelson. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has described the UN Security Council as a dead end when it comes to helping his country repel Russia's invasion. We have to restore justice inside the UN structure, he told an emergency meeting of the UN Security Council. Well, Sir Mark Lyle Grant served as the UK's ambassador to the United Nations between 2009 and 2015. I'm delighted to say he joins me now. Welcome to the briefing, Mark. Good afternoon, Emma. So let's just look at what... Volodymyr Zelensky said yesterday, he said, this is a dead end when the instigator of the war, the party responsible for the terror, is blocking any attempt on behalf of the Security Council to execute its mandate. He has a point, doesn't he? He does have a point. Um, One of the compromises that was made when the United Nations was set up in, you know, after the Second World War, was that certain big powers would have a veto power in the UN Security Council. And that was to ensure that they actually joined the organization in the first place. And unfortunately, what that means is that when there is a crisis that directly involves one of the permanent members, um, they can prevent effective action. And we've seen that uh, many times in the past, sometimes even, you know, with the United States blocking action against illegal settlements in the West Bank that Israel sets up. But I saw it uh, firsthand when I was at the UN Security Council in 2014, when Russia annexed Crimea. And we had uh, something like 27, 28 emergency UN Security Council meetings criticizing Russia for that illegal annexation. But we were unable to adopt any resolution because uh, Russia vetoed them. You're suggesting then that we have been down this path before. What could the UN have done at the time to make sure that when this situation came along and Russia invaded Ukraine, that this would be avoided? Well, I don't think anything could be done, to be honest. It it was a necessary compromise. If you took away the veto powers from uh, the five permanent members, the first country to leave would be the United States, you know, quickly followed by both Russia and China. So, you know, that would then, the UN uh, system as a whole would disintegrate. So it is a frustration, of course, when these sorts of conflicts come about and can't be resolved. Um, But I don't think um, taking away the veto power, even if that were possible, uh, would be a solution in the longer term. And I don't want to suggest that just because it's not possible for the UN Security Council to sort of adopt any measures against Uh, Russia, that there is no value in the sort of meeting that was held in the Security Council um, last night. 
Um, of course, President Zelensky is frustrated, but the fact is, it is possible to give him a public platform, a world platform before all 193 countries to make his case, to bring out the war crimes that Russia is committing, the aggression um, that they're committing. So it is valuable in that respect. And it's also valuable in putting pressure on some of the so-called middle ground in the UN Security Council. Because let's not forget that India, Brazil, the UAE, Kenya, they're all members of the Security Council this year. And they are then forced to take sides publicly on an issue like Ukraine. So it has a lot of value, even though it's not possible for the Security Council to reach a firm agreement. He mentioned Chapter 7 of the UN Charter. What is that and what what purpose would that serve? Well, the Chapter 7 is the uh, part of the UN Charter which allows the Security Council to take coercive measures, to impose sanctions or to authorise um, peacekeeping missions or, or to authorise military action. So, for instance, we adopted a Chapter 7 resolution on Libya, which authorised the international community to take military action against Colonel Gaddafi uh, in Libya. Um, there are sanctions regimes against Uh, There were against Syria. There has been against um, North Korea, for instance. And those are all done under Chapter 7. And it's those sorts of resolutions that Russia has been vetoing in the UN Security Council. Having had what happened in 2014 with the annexation of Crimea, now we have the full invasion of Ukraine by Russia. What lessons can and should the United Nations learn from this? I mean, you've mentioned the fact that there are... taking too drastic a a measure would not help in the long term. But surely he had a point when he says that, you know, there is always going to be a dead end. And the the expectations, therefore, of the efficacy of the UN and the UN Security Council will be dimmed. Well, I think that's true. And certainly the UN Security Council needs reform. But the sort of reform that is likely to happen, which is expanding it and potentially giving more countries a veto power, countries like India and Brazil, will in fact make it more difficult to reach effective decisions in the Security Council, not easier. So commentators might say it's the Security Council is expanded, it's more representative of the world powers of today, but actually it will make it less effective in taking action to uh, resolve conflicts. But that does not mean, as I say, that it's that it's not useful to have these meetings. And don't forget that even though the Security Council can't take action, the UN General Assembly can vote and every country has a single vote there. And this issue has gone, the Ukraine conflict, to the General Assembly on a number of occasions. And Russia has been very, very heavily outvoted, you know, with 141, 145 countries voting against Russia, which demonstrates very publicly how isolated Russia is in its aggression. It's isolated, but like Volodymyr Zelensky yesterday, it has a voice. And we had the Russian ambassador to the UN accusing Western nations of supplying a reckless flow of weapons and arms to Ukraine, saying that they're conducting strikes against infrastructure in response to the unbridled flow of weapons to Ukraine. It gives Russia that oxygen of publicity, doesn't it? Well, it gives them an opportunity, obviously, to state their case. But the reality is that no one seriously believes what they're saying. And the very fact that they've had, they only had sort of four allies voting together with them in the General Assembly, countries like North Korea, uh, Syria, Belarus, 
Eritrea shows that they actually have very few international friends and meetings like the UN Security Council yesterday demonstrate how isolated Russia really is in the international community. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. That was Sir Mark Lyle Grant. Now here's Monocle 24's Carlotta Rabello with the day's other news headlines. Carlotta. Thanks, Emma. China has recorded its highest number of daily COVID cases since the start of the pandemic. There have been outbreaks in a number of major cities, including the capital Beijing, despite Chinese officials still attempting to eliminate the virus. Brazil's electoral court has rejected a challenge made by the party of Jair Bolsonaro. The outgoing president narrowly lost to the former leader Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. Bolsonaro's party claimed without evidence that voting machines were compromised. And the Wales national football side has started to display rainbow flags at their World Cup training base in Qatar. The Welsh players are reportedly furious that they have been threatened with sanctions if they wear one-love armbands during the tournament. Those are the day's headlines. Back to you, Emma. Let's now mark the return to politics of the blob, a name coined by the British Conservative politician Michael Gove. The blob had until recently been put back in its box by successive liberal right-wing governments. So why has it made a return? Well, James Snell is a writer and senior advisor for special initiatives at the New Lines Institute for Strategy and Policy. He's also written recently in Politico, advising us of the return of the blob. James, a very warm welcome to Monocle 24. It's good to be with you. So for those of us who have not been following its progress with such uh, great detail as you have, perhaps, could you tell us what the blob is? Yes, well, the blob is something which gets its name from horror films. And the uh, phrase was coined by Michael Gove, who's a perennial cabinet minister in Britain. And what he essentially described was a sensibility which pervades a group of people. And these are the people who run the media, government's departments and the civil service in Britain. And many of them don't consider themselves part of the blob, but that's only what makes them more blob-like, in Uh, his view. And when you mean a sort of a sensibility, is is it a mindset? Just explain to us if you are part of the blob, and how you think and how you make your decisions politically. Absolutely. Well, the blob is at least part a development of what we might call the old Sir Humphrey impulse among the policy elite, um, which is the idea that the civil service, its institutional culture really matters and that intruders into that particular uh, institutional culture simply don't understand how the government should be run, what the country should look like. But it's also at least partly cultural. We now have a university educated population of roughly 50% of um, young people at least, and repeated surveys of voters have demonstrated that the big differences between political parties in in polarisation, they're things like rural and urban, uh, especially age, but also education, And people who are educated in the newly expanded higher education sector essentially do think alike, remarkably so. And those people, by and large, run um, government departments and staff the bureaucracy in this country. And they also uh, represent a a, a part of um, political society, which the Conservative Party in the last few years, at least, has done its best to give a good kicking to. Absolutely. And voters to an extent as well. Many of the most recent elections and essentially all the referendums that have been put before the British people this uh, century have been rejected by voters as essentially things which have nothing to do with them. The voters in uh, Britain's north rejected the regional assembly. Scottish voters rejected independence. Uh, We rejected the AV voting system, which is something that real people have no truck with at all, but was uh, beloved by think tanks and some civil servants and political reformers. Uh, And, of course, very famously in 2016, we rejected the European Union, which for many people was an alien external force, which uh, wasn't 
the stuff of real life and um, conservative um, victories in every general election since 2010 seem to bear this out as well. So we have uh, here in the United Kingdom the, the, the idea that the blob has been sort of pushed to the side for a little bit. So you've decided to resurrect it and say that it's back. What's prompted you to do that? Well, exactly. It's the profound and total defeat of what seemed very briefly to be a reforming, an attempted reforming government under Liz Truss and uh, Kwasi Kwarteng. They created in their heads uh, a a somewhat blob-like substitute, this idea of the anti-growth coalition, which it turns out seems to include the majority of voters and participants in Britain's economy, um, all of whom have either a vested interest or a sort of cultural inclination to despise things like commerce, economic growth, these things are not necessarily beloved by the university educated in our population, many of whom indeed um, believe in things like degrowth and the idea that we can't have so-called infinite growth on a finite planet. Now, those people very successfully beat the reforming administration. And now that Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt have taken over instead, they are profoundly blob-friendly characters. Rishi Sunak, who first rose to prominence as Boris Johnson's chancellor, is a creature of the Treasury. Now, you described about the fact that with Rishi Sunak coming back, the adults are now back in charge. And you also said that orthodoxy has returned to both Britain and Europe, and it's like returning home after an unpleasant holiday. That suggests that the blob isn't isn't a dreadful thing, that actually the, the blob is is being grown up. Well, exactly. There is this um, cult among perhaps opinion formers as well as civil servants. And the idea essentially is that uh, only we know how to be sensible. Uh, Nobody else does. It's our job to rein everybody else in. Um, I spoke to, once this essay of mine was published, I spoke to a civil service uh, friend of mine who's been in the civil service roughly since Brexit, so for six or so years. And he essentially said straight up that um, both ministers and the public don't understand what we do and they couldn't do it if they tried. And I rather sarcastically summed up his perspective as we know best and he responded with deal with it um is the blob going to get us in the end absolutely yes um i think there are so many things institutional problems in britain which in a sense consensus has decided to ignore pretty consistently um the bank of england and the treasury more or less failed to see the immense difficulties that we were storing up for ourselves with um two decades of low wage growth real wage growth and very, very cheap money in the form of low interest rates. And this has now come to potentially destroy us for, a, if um, if not a generation, at least a few years with um, the recession we're now seeing in our, in our bid, possibly failed to clamp down on, on inflation. In much the same way, no one seems prepared to break the combination of lawyers, civil servants, and NIMBYs in the public who refuse us uh, to allow us to build the, the many things we need, for example, property, lab space and power grids, all of which we don't appear to have and won't have for many years. Finally, James, is the blob a particularly British problem or is it spreading elsewhere? Well, absolutely not. Um, and, and of course, much like uh, local customs, each country has its own its own blob. Um, Germany, of course, suffered for 15 or so years under what we now believe, certainly in the foreign policy sphere, was a stifling Merkelist orthodoxy. Um, France its governing classes come from two universities, by and large, Sciences Po in, in Paris and a, the um, School of National Administration, which was actually closed last year after educating the entire elite since the war because it became so unpopular, politically unpopular. Um, and Italy, um, one of the ironic things, we think of Italian politics as very colourful, chaotic. It's the extent to which, um, because their governments fall and reform so frequently, they can be influenced by the blob. We have had many um, entirely technocratic administrations in Italy over the last 20 years. 
And even people who come to power at the head of populist parties end up becoming blob-like um, by the end of their time in office. Journalist and blob watcher James Snell, thank you so much for joining us on Monocle 24. Twelve sixteen here in London. Let's have a closer look at what's happening in Latin America now with Monocle's correspondent in the region, Lucinda Elliott. Hello, Lucinda. Good morning, Emma. Good morning. Good afternoon where we are now. We're quarter past 12. The biggest development bank in the Americas. That's the big news where you are, isn't it? Tell us more. Yeah, so for the first time, um, Brazil's candidate was selected to run the Inter-American Development Bank, Elan Goldfan, who currently looks after the Western Hemisphere Department at the IMF in Washington, was nominated. And this presidency is, is awarded every five years in the Americas. And, it, and it's highly political because of the important financing the bank actually brings to the region. Um, the IDB arranged funding, I think, of more than $23 billion to Latin America and the Caribbean last year. And its president is chosen by these 48 shareholder countries. And the Latin Americans were were all fighting it out this time, including the uh, first female nomination for Argentina, who I spoke to last week. But it seems that the Brazilian, who, who was very much backed by the US and, of course, President Bolsonaro, will take over. So tell us a little bit about you know, the, 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 the long term effects of this issue. Well, as I say, the, the, the IDB arranges funding for and designates funding to the different countries in the region. And as it's a, a very political organization, depending on which side you fall, um, you're guaranteed to get more funds or, or less funds. It's it's quite interesting. The reason why there was a this nomination was so important for the region is actually after the departure of a Cuban-American um, who was expelled after allegedly having an affair with a, a, a female assistant. He was a Trump nominee and he was removed by the IDB governors. Um, and this was after an investigation found that he probably violated ethics rules. He's now... Um, signed off and this has meant that an interim president was appointed who was also a first woman and now the formal vote was held and we have Elan Golfin at the head of the bank. He is an extremely experienced uh, professional, he's an economist, used to run the Central Bank of Brazil. Um, so there is kind of momentum behind him and it seems that he's, his bid, as I say, was very much backed by the US this time. Let's move to Argentina. Um, one of the region's most well-known human rights activists has died. Tell us about her. Yeah, so three days of a official mourning were announced on Sunday after Hebe Bonafini died at the age of 93, um, as well as leading the, the human rights organization, the, the, Ma, the uh, Madres de la Plaza de Mayo, the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, um, after her two sons and, and her daughter-in-law went missing during the dictatorship in Argentina. She was also a, a pretty co controversial figure in later life in Argentina. Um, she fiercely opposed US governments who she blamed for backing the these right-wing dictatorships in the region. She was also linked to a corruption scandal over affordable housing for the poor that involved the foundation. But she'll be remembered actually later today, um, largely for her work to, to demand answers to the thousands of disappearances in Argentina, staging the, the first of what would become these weekly vigils every Thursday in this great square in downtown Buenos Aires in front of the presidential palace. And it's a, they say that she will actually be laid to rest at her request in the plaza. Um, let's move finally to football. Um, lots of focus on Saudi Arabia, not Argentina this week because of Saudi Arabia's amazing defeat of Argentina. Um, but it has been a, sort of a historic week for Argentina, not just for the wrong reasons. 
Yeah, so more news for football followers is that the Hand of God ball was actually sold this week. Um, listeners may remember that the the strip, the shirt won by Diego Maradona in the legendary 1986 World Cup quarterfinals between Argentina and England was auctioned off for, I think, a million or so pounds earlier this year. Well, this week, the Tunisian referee who kept the ball has sold it at auction for £2.3 million. We don't actually know who bought it, um, and the referee hadn't actually set out any terms that it should be available, for example, for public view. But the shirt is actually on display in Qatar for anyone who wants to see it. But it just shows that the power that Maradona still wields even after death. Astonishing to think that the hand of God ball might end up in the back of someone's cupboard. Lucinda, thank you so much for joining us. That was our Latin America affairs correspondent, Lucinda Elliott. You're listening to The Briefing. Finally today, our special World Cup global countdown, week three. Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco is here. Hello, Faye. Hello. It's It's been a, a difficult one to choose all those tracks, you know, Emma? I bet it has. So... We're on to so we've done groups A and B, and I think the winners last week were what Netherlands and Iran. That's a couple of weeks ago. Then Argentina and Denmark, Denmark made the cut last week. But we now have we're moving on to what groups E and F. Absolutely, absolutely. Could you just recap? how this whole shebang works, please. Basically, it is indeed the World Cup of music and I'm kind of mimicking uh, the World Cup groups. Uh, you know, they every group has four countries in it. Uh, but here in the Global Countdown, here's how is it, is it going to work. I look at the number one song in the country. It needs to be from a local artist. If it's not a local artist, I go to number two, three, until I'll find one. And I will choose at the end of the show a winning song for each of the groups and they'll be battling in the semi final and final in the weeks to come uh, here every Thursday on The Briefing, Emma. Okay, so I think we can move on quite quickly. Let's not spare any time with this because it's a it's a bit of a job, isn't it? It is a job. It's longer than the usual global countdown. We start with Spain. They're very good at football. Yeah, we're looking, so let's have a little bit of an overview. Uh, Group E is Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, Germany and Japan. Yes. Okay, so we have... What kind of musical hopes do we have? Because you just meant that Spain is usually quite good at football. Germany is quite good. Japan quite good. Costa Rica couldn't say. Um, so we have a sort of pretty, particularly good and, and coherent, not necessarily group of death or group of zebras, which you will explain later. <laughs> um, but we, we've got some pretty strong football performers. General overview, general feeling about Group E before we dive in? The general feelings that it, it's an exciting uh, group because Germany and Japan, they are one of the biggest music markets in the world and they produce a lot of local content. I'm always curious what the Japanese and the Germans are listening. Mm. Uh, Spain, it's a good market, but they also, you know, they, you know, they, they borrow a lot of things from Latin America. Uh, Costa Rica, we might have to chat a little later about okay, this. Okay, yes. I, I mean, I think you've been quite optimistic about the, the group. I think we can safely say that you, we have quite a challenge ahead of us in the next yes. 10 minutes. And if you are listening closely, your ears are, might have a little bit of a challenge too. Just giving you a bit of a warning. Um, it's the group of zebras thing, which we're going to explain later. So, uh, okay, Spain. Spain. We're going to start with Quevedo. He's only 20. But he's he's a super popular uh, Spanish rapper. He does a little bit of reggaeton, trap, and again, he's only twenty. I'm always shocked with this. Uh, this track is I'm not. <laughs> well, <laughs> he's, this track is with uh, Mora, who is from Puerto Rico. The song's called Apa, and apparently, it's all about cheating in a way. Uh, shall we have a listen? Oh, please. 
Plegaria, vida de artista y tú de universitaria Tú de PR, pero yo de Canaria En mi cama tengo una vacante, bebé Dime si quieres ser mi becaria Eres drogo, pero tu dosis se me ha hecho necesaria Pa' llegar a mi apa no le hace falta ni GPA Los jeans skinny, mami, en el cuello divide Ella se prepara That's just like I've walked into the start of a badly curated playlist for a spin class. Well, this is when you're clipping yourself into the bike, you're getting your water ready, you're not really listening to the music and there's a good reason. And he's having an affair with a married oh. woman and he's kind of proud. And he's only 20. He's only 20, my God. Quevedo. It's a busy job. Apparently there's even <laughs> GPS uh, involved, <laughs> according to the lyrics. Well... I don't know how one has an affair, but um, I would imagine that GP, that technology would be involved in. All exactly. right, so this is a 20-year-old man having a, an affair with a married woman using, using satellites. Perfect. Marvelous. Perfectly described. What do we... <laughs> What do, we, what do we think of it, Faye? Well, I think it's okay. It's a little bit generic, as you say. You know, perhaps something that you might listen in a spin class. You know, it's not a bad start, but it's not a great start no, either. No, I think that's a very, very accurate description. But, ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to get much better. Am I giving the game away too much? Right. Costa Rica, shop and take a breath for this okay. one. Okay. And I have to explain the rules a bit further. It needs to be a local artist. The Costa Rican charts, there's not many Costa Rican artists. I have to say. So when this happens, Emma, I am in a conundrum here. I have to choose their kind of official track for the World Cup. Oh, okay. And this track, it's by Freddy Alves. It's not exactly a new song, but it always comes out when Costa Rica is doing well at football. I mean, we, we don't know yet if they will do that at the World Cup. The song is called Vamos Los Ticos. Ticos are the name given uh, to the Costa Rican national football team. So it's come on you football players. Absolutely. Excellent. I, I think we can kind of anticipate what it's going to sound like. So brace yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Okay, it's clearly carrying you away and it's sweeping you away on a musical. It's catchy. It's catchy. It is catchy. Uh, you know how music inspires visual things going on in the brain. I am in a large room. It's maybe quite a lot. There might be a wooden roof. Um, there's quite a lot of bare, sort of like muscly arms, and there's a lot of beer in 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 plastic glasses flying out of the out of the glasses. I'm imagining this right now. Yeah. And and I have something not bad to say about Costa Rica, but never say anything bad about. Oh, Costa Oh no, I love it. I love it. I really want to go. Great Freddie Alves track. But it's <laughs> it's it, what what's the music industry like? It's funny because Puerto Rico it's also very small, the size of the population, but they are a music powerhouse, and there's so many artists from Puerto Rico in the Costa Rican chart. But, you know, they do have Freddie Alves. But that was just a minor criticism I would like to give to the Costa Rican music industry. You're so gentle when you dish it out, Faye. <laughs> I love that. You deliver the proverbial <clears throat> sandwich with such aplomb. Uh, Costa Rica, you have uh, you have outshone yourselves in terms of football commitment. Uh, music, a little bit of work to do there. But let's not worry. It's good. It does the job. Thank you, Freddie Alves. OK, we now go to Germany, where you say it's a musical, you know, it's a big market um, and... We have someone who I'd never come across before here, a gentleman called Peter Fox. So I looked at the video and we're dealing with 
um, sort of very strange guy, don't we? We're dealing with a man who's in his 50s mm-hmm. and yet who does dance hall. Which I find it amazing. Wonderful. And, but that's what I like about German. It's always surprising musically. I think people have no idea what the Germans are listening because it's very much music for their own country in a way. But <laughs> I generally like this track. And yeah. Peter Fox, yes, you said, he was a member of a German uh, reggae band called Seed. Uh, so I think the That's mean, three E's, listeners. That's isn't three, it? three E's. That's why I said Seed. Seed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and he's, you know, one of the biggest members of the German... Ger- German dance hall scene as well, but now he doesn't look. Dare I say yeah. it? Because he's sort of this kind of slightly pale, weedy guy with yeah. a, with a blue suit on. It's like you be forty vibes. Well, he in looks a way. he looks like someone you'd meet at the school gates, frankly. But but you know, here comes dancehall. Here, here the man from Seed, um, and this track is called what? Zukunft in pink. Now Zukunft means future. Pink means well, pink. It's a bit political, this track. It is. Because the future is pink, or according to Peter Fox. And I love the, the lyrics. I mean, he said bad things about Elon Musk, which is great. Yes. So it's, it's kind of, the song goes everywhere. Mm. It's a bit political, it's a bit dancey. He, he grabs some rhythms from South Africa as well. A lot of Amapiano music there. Some people said it was cultural appropriation, but I mean, it, it, it's, it, I think it's a fun track. What overall. I find quite interesting about this, and this is for the, all, our, all our language fans out there, is that when you actually look at the lyrics, they're quite correct. So normally, if you have dancehall or reggae, you'll expect a certain amount of vernacular, a bit of jargon, a bit of, you know, the words that fit the music. This is incredibly neatly and grammatically correctly written. It's almost like you could sort of study it as, a, as some sort of exam translation game. I'll start my German classes listening to this, Emma. You'll do well. Peter Fox with Zukunft. 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 Pink. Okay, that's going on the Monocle 24 it's thingy, good. isn't it? It's good. It it's is good. good. And I can feel the Amapiano beats from South Africa as well. So it's quite interesting. I feel not many people... You know, knew about Peter Fox outside Germany, but now they do. No, because they're listening to the global concert. Because they're listening to the global global countdown, and you know, we are, we are the pedagogical geniuses of international music. Um, that's about as good as it's going to get today, ladies and gentlemen. I think we've got to, we, not to warn you too much of Group F, um, but before we leave Group E, we now go to Japan. So high hopes here, and indeed the Monocle playlist is always hungry. It's an ever hungry beast. Always needs a bit more boy band Sparkle, does it get it from Japan this time? Absolutely. I think it's a great track by a J-pop band called King and Prince. And although it's called King and Prince, there are actually five members for this band. Uh, But although I'm going to share some sad news after we listen to a clip of this track. Uh, Don't worry, it's not that sad, actually. I know you you have concerned eyes there. Mm. Don't worry, it's not that bad. We don't do sad on the global count. It's not as bad as as you're thinking. (laughs) (laughs) But let's have a listen to King and Prince with uh, Tsukiyomi. Okay, a couple of white portos and tonic, and we might be onto something here. But it might we might we need a bit of a helper with this one, don't we? A little helper, so again, it's not a bad song, but. 
as I said, five members. Mm. Five become two. <gasps> don't worry, they're not that. They're just okay. leaving the band next year. I was year. worried. Don't worry, don't worry. They're just saying the band, yeah, there'll be only two members. So they're not actually breaking up. I, I wonder if they will hire other three members. It's going to be a bit difficult. But mm. perhaps the two remaining, they can be the king well, and prince. They, oh, you're so clever. Um, what do we think of that music? It's okay, but normally you could go a little bit bananas for a decent bit of um, Japanese pop, couldn't you? And this yes. one doesn't like my fire. The, the video is quite interesting. They all look rather hot yeah. in a room. It all looks as if they could pop on a bit of air conditioning or maybe open the window because they all look a little bit warm. It's not well. so great. <laughs> But unfortunately to listeners, I have to say, let's talk about zebras. Yes. Uh, and there's an expression in Brazil. I mean, <laughs> zebras is always kind of the one that is weak, you know, Aww. that is kind of, I don't know if you have an expression like this uh, in, in English, but Group F is not quite the best music. Have we got zebras in Group F? We have quite okay. a few zebras. Just to recap, Group E we've just covered, but in a little while, once we have covered Group F, you will tell us who your choice is. Yes, at the end. Not zebras, maybe Group E, but nearly. I don't know what a nearly zebra is, uh, but but Group F. So, who are the countries in this one, Faye? It is Belgium, okay. Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. Okay, so Very there's potential. Because the Belgians could be all right. You mm. sometimes get some pretty decent stuff out of Belgium. Canada, pretty decent stuff out of Canada. Massive pop stars there. Morocco, exciting to know. And Croatia, I'm sure they're pretty good at what they do where they are. So there we are. That's that's my that's my massive generalization about Group F. But I suspect that we're going somewhere quite not so great. Yeah, it's Belgian. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting one because Oscar and the Wolf. He's a respected indie artist there with the song Warrior. Uh, you know, I even like some of his previous tracks, but this one, um, I'm not sure if I'm quite a fan. I realize it's the World Cup song for the Belgian football team as well. It talks about mental health. It talks about I'm a warrior. Uh, you know the band Imagine Dragons, mm. Emma? I'm not a f such a big fan mm -hmm. of this type of music. I don't know if how can I describe it. It's kind of rock and roll for, you know, for people that don't know rock and roll that well. But um, so Entry yeah. level rock and roll. Yeah, well, again, sorry if I'm being a bit too beachy here today. Um, but shall we have a listen and let me know what you think. From okay. Belgian, Oscar and the Wolf. Okay. If I fall, I'm gonna rise Like a phoenix, I'll fly This shit, I'm a warrior So what you say about me? Baby, I'm a champion No matter what you say about me We all puffing our chests out in that kind of I can take on the world kind of attitude. And they are or very are good at football, I have to say. Well, Belgian. Oscar and the Wolf are good at football. No, not Oscar and the Wolf, but his country, <laughs> Belgian. They, it might do well, so this song might stay at number one for a, a bit longer, I mean, just actually. Just looking at Oscar and the Wolf, why haven't we all heard of them before? Because they've, they've, he has not one, but not many, but just one. They've, he supported Lou Reed, he supported Rasheen Murphy, yes. he's, he's sold stuff out left, right, and centre. Oh, oh, Oscar and the Wolf. You I, you're, you're lacking teeth. Lacking a little bit of teeth. And as I said, I do like some of his previous songs. So maybe the problem is just with Warrior. Uh, this this track, which I think is very kind of World Cup. You know, I'm a warrior. I'm going to win this. Mm. It's about overcoming your fears. Uh, maybe a little bit cliche. A little bit. Oh, dear. Not that we'd ever have a cliche here on the Global Countdown. Of course not. No, never, never, <laughs> never, never, never. Right. OK. Dare I say, the next song, I think, has a bit of a health warning to it, doesn't it? We're yeah. going to Canada and 
Goodness me when I listen to that. Yes, it is Drake. And and, and, and it's funny, uh, Drake has a new album out. He was, uh, I think his previous albums were quite chilled, I have to say. A lot of R&B, a little bit of electronica, but not the new album. I think he's quite sassy in uh, his new album, you know. So there are a lot of, uh, you know, swearing Is that here. honestly never mind? Yes. Right, I'm just thinking that up. Looking he's, that up, I should say. He's Canada's biggest music export. I mean, we have to give him that as well. I mean, Drake, he sells a lot of I think together with Taylor Swift and Adele is one of the few musicians that still you know managed to have this power as well in terms of when it comes to sales and streaming uh, and this is one of the singles from his new album what's it, what's it called it's called Rich Flax okay. by Drake 21 can you do something for me 21 can you hit a little rich flex for me? Then 21, can you do something for me? Drop some bars to my pussy ex for me. Then 21, can you do something for me? Can you talk to the ops next for me? Then 21. Okay, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you just think, hang on, you're a multi, multi, multi million selling record artist and you just you just felt like it was a race to the bottom with this. It's, it's like not, it's angry, it's nasty. Um, it gets even nastier. I mean, thanks to Callum, our studio manager, for finding only a few major swear words in that little bit. It gets even muckier in there, doesn't it? You know, I do sound like someone's mum. You know but why we're just like, please... You know why we're a bit downbeat here, Emma? Because I realised that from all the tracks so far, there hasn't been a single female singer, actually. And that's quite unusual. I mean, it, it is just an accident of fortune because I think when you look at groups A, B, C, D and E, A, B, C and D, there was quite a, a healthy mix, uh, but not this time. So it's very male-heavy. Mm. This isn't a nice song at all. Canada. Do better. <laughs> okay, let's move to Morocco. Morocco is an interesting one. We're still. Are you going to cheer us up with this one? Because I'm so miserable about it after I the Drake track. I am not going to cheer you up. Oh, sorry. But the song is not bad. It, 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 it's it's Moroccan hip hop at its best, uh, and it's quite political as well. I had to read a lot of, about this. Who is this? And uh, what's the he's tune? El Grande Toto, one right. of the biggest uh, Moroccan uh, rappers. Uh, the song is called Silhouette. Uh, the video for this is very depressing, Emma. You oh, know? That's awful. No, I, it, honestly, if you're having a bad day, May I not suggest that you look at the videos of the songs that we're talking about just yet. Save it to a part-time moment when you've got a pina colada in one hand, you've got your Hawaiian shirt on and everything is sunny and then nothing can touch your mood because this is all abject misery, isn't it, Faye? But perhaps good rap. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, good Moroccan hip-hop, which is frankly what the world needs more of. Shall we listen? <laughs> Okay, I'm back on my spin bike. It's good. It's good, I think. You know, it's and, okay. And I was reading about the song. I mean, it, it's, it talks about freedom of artistic expression. Apparently, there's some criticisms to the Moroccan government as well. Uh, 
it's not quite he was involved in a controversy apparently he was fined because he was promoting cannabis and and i think he was a bit angry with the moroccan government mm-hmm. so th- so there is a, that's why i think he's touching on the, on those topics so you know i like the fact that it's a little bit political it's not just an empty uh, headed kind of hip hop track as well so mm-hmm. grant toto kind of gained a little bit of my admiration he did he's got he's got he's got so there's there's meat on there's bone on the bones mm-hmm. of grande toto mm-hmm. he's probably worth spending a little more, a bit more time looking at it yet. He was arrested uh, after he told reporters, I smoke weed, so what? It's normal. Um, Yeah. Mm, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily the best example to, to to the kids, but frankly, he's fine. He's fine. Um, well, he's fine. It, but it, you know, he's fine in the context of zebras. Yes. So he's the best. He's got the best stripe so far. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Finally, God, please, if you're still with us, still listening, I'm so grateful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's go to Croatia. Croatia. I mean, the thing about Croatia, it's it's fun to dance if you're a little bit drunk. You know, it's okay. But we can't be too angry about him because he just became a parent. I was reading some of the Croatian <laughs> dailies, so it's true. I mean, what's his I, name? I think he's happy. His name is. Girse. So G R S E for okay. those who are curious about his music. Mm. And it's it's like party music, you know what? It's potty music. Potty. Oh party music. Party, party music. Potty. Well, you know, he's had a baby. You've got potty music. <laughs> exactly. um, okay. <laughs> let's, let's have Girse's best then. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness me, he's miserable. <laughs> Let's get ready to party, you know. In the most downbeat, upset, not slept, changing nappies, really tired, bags under my eyes. Go shorty, here's the party. I mean, make an effort, Gersa, please. If, that, if, that, if someone like that walks up to you on the dance floor and goes... Well, he wouldn't hey, say go shorty. shorty. He'd say, hey, shorty. And said, hey, shorty, here's your party. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I'm what, laughing. You, but <laughs> would, would you say, yes, Gersa, I really want to be part of this? Or would you say, thank you, but my cab is waiting outside? Thank you. I wonder if you're going to be qualified in my World Cup, Gipsy. <laughs> yes. Will but you be in my group of zebras? He just became a parent, right? Yes. Let, let, let's we'll forgive, forgive him, him a little bit. What let's did be- he have? A baby, I'm assuming. Uh, a baby. A baby. Yes, a baby. Congratulations I- <laughs> for his baby. Right, Faye. <sighs> that brings us to the end of possibly the most downbeat, upbeat global countdown I've ever done. Uh, we are now going to recap. So we had from Group E, we had uh, Spain, Costa Rica, Germany and Japan. Okay. Excellent. From Group F, we it. had Belgium, Canada, Morocco and Grumpy Gersa from Croatia. <laughs> so, okay, over to you, Faye, because obviously you have to decide what you where this now goes. Group E was an easy choice. The winner is Germany. Yes. Peter, Peter Fox. Fox is here. Well done. 51 mm-hmm. years old and doing very well at the German dance hall scene. Can we have a little listen to Peter Fox, 51 and doing quite well in the German dance hall scene? I'm with that. Well done, Faye. Good choice in my book. Thank you for that. Sorry, Spain, Costa Rica and Japan, but Germany's qualifying to the final. Okay, next one. Rubeth. That one, I had a few doubts in my head, but the winner is 
Morocco. It has to be. It has to Surely. be. Surely. It has to be. Surely, because Oscar and the Wolf lack spite. Drake, just sort yourself out, please. Uh, Gursa, cheer up. Uh, but he's Morocco, a parent already. He doesn't need this. He's a parent. <laughs> he's got a baby. Um, how can you smile? So, okay, it has to be Morocco. Yes. Okay, that's it. Wonderful. Thank you. So, we now have uh, six, don't we? We yes. have... Germany and Croatia from today. No, Morocco. Germany and Morocco. My apologies, Morocco. Uh, Croatia, sorry for getting your hopes up. Group A was Netherlands and Iran, and Group A and B. And then we had Argentina and De- Denmark. Right. Okay. So just looking at that, now we're doing the kind of pundit stuff. Uh, what are your prospects for the next round? If we have Netherlands, Iran, Argentina, Denmark... Germany and Morocco. I think the next round will be a very interesting one and my country is in there. But don't worry, I'm very impartial. Don't you worry about this. But we have it's a very it's going to be very strong. It's going to be Switzerland, Brazil, and much more. Even South Korea. I mean <laughs> Can't wait. It's gonna be a big week next it week. It will. Thank you, Faye. And that's all we have time for today's edition of The Briefing. Many thanks to all my guests and to the producers, Rhys James, the researcher, Emily Sands, and our studio manager, Callum McLean. The Briefing's back tomorrow at the same time. And don't forget to tune in to The Monocle Daily that airs at 1800 London time later on. But for now, from me, Emma Nelson, goodbye and thank you very much for listening.